Welcome to 100 Days in Mexico. I'm Melanie. This is the story of how a 100-day solo road trip, surfing my way down the Pacific coast of Mexico, changed my life forever. Ready to go on a road trip? Strap in, let's do this. Episode 11, The Safe House, T-minus 18 months. From the backyard, Mama Candy's house smelled amazing. Fresh garlic and ginger greeted me before I entered the house. A basil plant in Mama Candy's herb garden had grown visibly in the three weeks I had been staying with her. Tonight, I saw that it had been trimmed back and was undoubtedly being used in whatever gourmet dish awaited me inside. Mama Candy reclined on the couch in her usual spot. Feet up, TV on, playing Candy Crush on her iPad. Her full thighs spilled over the couch, rolling out from under her hot pink jersey shorts. Hey, Mama, I'm home. I walked into the living room and bent over to give her a kiss. Even though I told her not to get up, she struggled against her weight to greet me with a big smile and an even bigger hug. Her enormous chest enveloped me unfettered by any sort of bra to contain her endowment. I lingered for a bit with eyes closed and forehead on her shoulder. She was so warm. She was so soft. She smelled so good. She held me so tight. I could feel the muscles in my jaw starting to tighten, so I quickly raised my walls, not wanting to feel anything, because feeling something might lead to feeling everything. I came up for air. How was your day? I asked. Mama Candy had knee problems. Everything was a tremendous effort for her. In her day, she had been one of the first girls to surf in Mission Beach. She made some good decisions with her money and her 40-plus year career as a nurse. Having never married or had kids of her own, she now owned a house with extra bedrooms, just a block from the water. Her mother and sister had passed away years ago, and she was pseudo-family with my in-laws, not technically related, but had been best friends with my aunt-in-law since childhood. At a family birthday party a few months earlier, she had pulled me aside to say that if I ever needed a place to stay, I could have her back room as long as I needed it. I all but wrote her off at the time. My ego silently asserted that I would never need to take a handout, especially not from a fat old lady whose most exciting part of her day was the New York Times crossword puzzle. Things were fine with Kurt. Sure, he would disappear every other weekend on some bender, and sure, he would come back with rage in his eyes and poison for words, but he promised me he was going to kick it this time, and the time before, and the time before that. Nah, we would work it out. I had Candy's number from some family group texts. Six weeks after Candy made her offer at the birthday party, I was finally ready to admit the severity of the situation at home. I found myself typing out words I thought I would never type. I can't stay here anymore. I'm starting to get a little scared. I don't really have any other place to go. Were you really serious about your offer? I don't have any money and I won't be able to pay rent right away. In less than a minute, my phone beeped with the response. I'll have the room ready for you tomorrow. I won't accept any money. After the night's drama in the alley, I packed up to leave. 
I arrived at Candy's house with a back seat full of everything I owned. She showed me around the house, then gave me space to decompress. Within a day, I settled into a routine. I packed breakfast and lunch and left the house early in the morning. I stayed all day at the yoga studio. When I had caught up with everything that needed to be done, I would find more creative marketing projects to work on. I had a fire under my skin. I had to make money to survive now. It was either close up shop and get a waitressing job or find some way to get more yoga clients. Fear of failure and codependence forbade me to close up shop. My students needed me, I thought. Actually, I needed them. My community would laugh at me if I admitted defeat, I thought. I needed the yoga studio to be successful in order to survive. Fear fueled me 10 to 12 hours a day, seven days a week. I worked and I worked and I worked. By the end of that month, the numbers were up and I was completely exhausted. A couple of weeks into my stay at Mama Candy's, Mama shuffled into the kitchen and told me about her big day as she reheated dinner for me. She had gone to her women's circuit training gym and then to the market to buy fresh ingredients for the dinner she was preparing for me. She handed me a plate of six extra jumbo shrimp, a pile of perfectly seasoned stir-fried veggies, and a scoop of brown rice. I sat at the table famished from a 12-hour workday while Candy pulled out the gin. Is it Friday already? I asked. Candy only drank on weekends. Days meant nothing to me since I was working seven plus days per week. There was no such thing as a day off. She took out two martini glasses from the freezer and stuck two toothpicks with four jumble olives each. She danced while she shook the vermouth, olive juice, and gin. I watched her body sway with pleasure, stuffing my face with shrimp and bell peppers smothered in butter and love. She shook the martinis not so much with her hands and her arms, but with her entire body, by her entire being. I started to giggle at her voluptuous body, shaking and gyrating. As she shook, she sang a made-up song. It's Friday, it's Friday. <laughs> My giggles erupted into an all-out belly laugh. I dropped my fork and shook my head, laughing hysterically. Suddenly, the long work hours I had been hiding behind were stripped away. Floodgates opened and tears erupted alongside my laughter. I dropped my head into my hands, slumped over the table. I wept. Mama Candy stopped singing. She stopped dancing. She placed the shaker on the counter encircled behind my chair. With one hand on either shoulder, Mama Candy kissed the back of my head and said, I know, sweetie, I know. Living with Mama Candy was wonderful, but I felt guilty about not paying rent, and we both knew it was a temporary agreement. And I was no longer within walking distance to my yoga studio. The class schedule required me to be at the studio for morning classes, noon classes, and evening classes. Rather than driving back and forth, I just stayed all day. 
Students constantly came in and wanted to chat. In the beginning, I loved playing therapist, hearing about their boyfriend issues or stressful work situation. But eventually, I couldn't rush them out the door fast enough. Didn't they know I had work to do? My resentment toward them grew. Here they were, wanting all my time, paying pennies for their classes. My resentment showed up in the way I adjusted students in class, yanking on them, forcing them to do better. It would show up in the way I talked to the other teachers. Didn't they know they were supposed to be marketing themselves? I wasn't in a good place, and I knew it. I knew I needed to take better care of myself. I knew that if I didn't do some nice things for myself, spend a little more time away from work, I would end up killing the business. The decision to leave Mama Candy's and rent my own place was based completely on faith. I knew I couldn't afford it, but I was learning in therapy to acknowledge and act on my needs. I learned that the only way I could be of value to this world was to first take care of myself. I needed to live near my yoga studio so I could go home during the afternoon. Even more than that, for my dignity, I needed to have my own place. In a therapy session, I described my terror at watching my savings dwindle little by little. I told the therapist that I probably had enough to survive for six months on my own. After that, I would not be able to buy rent, to pay rent or buy food. The therapist regarded me for a moment, then asked me the simplest question. What happens if you can't pay rent? Mm, I could borrow money from my parents, but eventually I'd have to figure something else out. And then what happens at that point? He continued. I'd have to close the studio. I'd feel like a miserable failure. Okay, so then what comes next? He wouldn't stop asking the same stupid question. Well, I'm not going back to corporate America, and I'm not moving to the ghetto with a bunch of roommates to wait tables. I can't do that to myself. So then what? He was making me think about it like a chess game. I guess I'd probably get rid of all my stuff and join the Peace Corps. I've always thought that would be really cool. That would be awesome. A big smile lit up his face. The smile spread to my face as well. Melanie, the universe is like a river and and you're floating in the river. The flow of the universe is toward truth and light and joy. All you have to do is stop clinging to the rocks, release your resistance and let yourself be carried away. You might get bounced around a bit, but you are always going in the right direction. I loved this analogy, and I bought into every word of it. It was completely different from the it's all going to burn sinful nature worldview I had been raised on, and it resonated in my soul. He quoted what I would later learn was Louise Hay. You've never made a wrong decision in your life. In fact, you can't make a wrong decision. You've always done the right thing in the moment you did it based upon the amount of enlightenment you carried at that time. You have always done your best and your best is always good enough. By moving toward what makes you happy, 
you learn exactly what needs to be learned in that moment. It was like a math puzzle had just been solved. I wasn't born a sinner. I've actually never sinned. I've always done the best I could at the time I did it. It was a hundred percent against what I had been taught and I believed it. I understood something important in that session. Taking care of my own needs and wants would only lead me to the happiest of places. It would never lead toward doom and destruction. Doing what was in my best interest, there was no way I could fail. All I had to do was care bravely for myself, no matter how scared I got. I must walk through the darkness because hope and light and happiness would always find me on the other side in greater measure than I currently possessed them. I found an apartment across the street from my yoga studio. I wrote a cover letter with my application and I prayed the landlord wouldn't request tax documents. The next day, I was approved. Three days later, I moved into a space where I could reclaim my dignity. I had no clue how I would afford it, but for the first time in my life, I was completely willing to fail. I hope you liked the episode. If you did, I have a behind-the-scenes video commentary available on my website, 100daysinmexico.com. I also have all kinds of writing from my current adventures. I'd love to share this stuff with you. So if you head on over to 100daysinmexico.com, you can sign up to become an insider and read all of the behind the scenes content and all of the current stories, the dramas, and the adventure that I'm experiencing while I travel around the world, trying to improve my surfing, trying to improve my life. Until next time.